All right, so as we begin this morning, we are in uh, we're in the season of Advent. I've already named it. This is our second week of Advent. Last week, we focused on the Advent of hope. This week is the Advent of joy. And we said last week that Advent is simply a word that means arrival, right? This means the arrival of someone or something. So obviously, in talking about Advent, the season of Advent, and it being the Christmas holidays, we can deduce quickly that it's about the Advent or the arrival of Jesus right here, right? You see the picture here in the manger, Jesus coming at Christmas 2,000 years ago. But Advent historically also is about focusing on the second arrival, the second advent of Jesus, the reality that Jesus is going to come again. We sang about this morning and got really excited about it, right? And the idea for us is that there is a, an excitement and a celebration, but also a preparation preparation that goes with the season of Advent, because if you know someone is coming tomorrow, you will prepare yourself today. And so the idea is in the early churches, we wanted to live like Jesus could be returning tomorrow because it will impact how we live today. And so the season of Advent was as a reminder, Jesus came and it's a promise that he will come again. So live to live today as if he's coming tomorrow, right? And that will impact how you live. And so as you're going through the Advent season, hopefully doing your own Advent season, stuff and your own calendars and your own studies and stuff, uh, hoping that you're focusing and celebrating on the ramifications and the beauty of Jesus's first arrival while also recognizing I want to live my life as if he's coming tomorrow because that's exciting, right? And living in that mentality. But we said last week that also with the arrival of Jesus comes this conviction that Jesus held that since he came right at this first coming at the first advent that Jesus is now present today with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so what that means for us is this celebration that we're not just looking back 2,000 years ago. We're not just looking forward to something in the future, but because we have given our lives to Jesus at that moment of salvation, Jesus came to make resident with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and you can know him, you can hear him, and you can walk with him. So the idea is because of the first arrival, now Jesus is present with you today. And so what you could say is that every single moment when you wake up, as the, as, it's as if the advent of Jesus has occurred again because his presence is with you in the very moment you wake. And the reality is he was actually with you when you were sleeping also. But sometimes it's just helpful to have that picture that in my awakening, I recognize the arrival and presence of Jesus once again. And that, my friends, is this beautiful picture that we can turn to in the Advent season, this understanding of Jesus' presence with us. And this morning, what we want to talk about, because it's the second week of Advent, we want to talk about the arrival or the Advent of joy, the arrival or the Advent of joy that's available to us Every moment of every day in the person of Jesus in our lives. So let's start with the familiar verses from Luke 2. We looked at some of them last week. Put on the screen for me, Luke 2. You know these verses, 8 through 11. And it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. That would freak me out. I'm sure it did them too. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were 
terrified as we all would be, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, the gospel that will cause great joy for all the people. The heartbeat behind it. Why? Because today, verse 11, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Good news that would cause great joy for all of the people. The arrival of Jesus as Messiah. The arrival of Jesus as Savior, the arrival of Jesus as Lord, right? The cause, the, what that would cause would be great joy. And that's the heartbeat for us in this season is so often we lose sight of joy. We're going to define joy this morning, but we lose sight of it, don't we? We lose sight of this, this inner contentment that should define us and can define us. We, we lose sight of the presence of Jesus. We find ourselves getting overwhelmed. We find ourselves freaking out. We find ourselves stumbling along the way as if things are dark in our world and we just can't make it. But Jesus reminds us, listen, in my arrival, there was the arrival of joy. It would cause great joy. Why? Because in all moments and every day, I am Savior. I am, listen, he wasn't just a Messiah for the Jews. He is constantly and consistently still Messiah, Savior in every area of our lives. And in those moments of our lives, right, we freak out. Why? Because we're trying to be Lord rather than lean into his lordship. That's why it's good news of great joy, because in all of these moments that are just too much, I am still Savior, I am Messiah, and I will forever have been, always will be Lord. And so as we press pause in this moment and focus on Advent, I want us to begin to dive into this heartbeat of Jesus around being the giver of joy, because he is Savior every moment. He is Messiah, and he is our Lord. The definition I want to just dive into, because I think it's super helpful to get definitions. Just to grab hold of this morning. Joy, here's, this, here's the definition. Joy is inner contentment. Inner contentment, a deep down sense of well-being that resides deep in my heart, regardless of any situation, good or bad. I want you to read that, take a picture of it, focus on I don't care, right? Inner contentment, joy is inner contentment, a deep down sense of well-being that just resides deep in my heart regardless of any situation, good or bad. The picture of joy in a simple one, just say, is I just live life in the middle of everything going on, in the middle of all the pressures, in the middle of all the hardships, in the middle of all the, the concerns and the fears and everything that life is throwing, the possibility of the future being horrible, and just say, oh, I'm just satisfied. I'm satisfied. I live in a place of inner contentment and satisfaction. I don't live saying everything's okay, right, it's going bad. But in the middle of the bad, I am content and I am satisfied because of the person of Jesus. John Piper says it this way, Christian joy is a good feeling or emotion in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as the Spirit causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. 
just this understanding that in the middle of everything that's happening, there is always a beauty that you can turn to, Christ himself, that can then reshape and then redefine your understanding of the reality that you're living in. Wherever I go, I can always go, this is going to hell, but Jesus. Right? That's this peace for us. And so in this, the, the great assault of the enemy is to produce all of these half-truths or lies or whatever it may be to try to steal us from the joy that is always present. Why? Because Jesus is always with us. And so then our, our then aspiration Right, Our goal for self, then, isn't to try to get away from the bad. It's just to turn ourself to the good. That's the heartbeat and inner contentment. As a starting point, again, recognizing there is a difference in between happiness and joy. They're often confused. Happiness simply speaks to our circumstances. Right, circumstantials, the positive emotion that arises when something, some good happens in our life, but it's fleeting. It comes and it goes. It's based off the circumstance of the moment, right? We think about happiness like I'm driving, I'm driving down the road, right? Driving down the road and, and I, and I, and I pull up, I pull up to, to the grocery store, right? And, and there's a, listen, I mean, I'm blessed and highly favored and there's that parking spot right up front. Right, showing that God loves me more than anybody else and gave me the front row parking spot, right? And we praise God and we get happy in the moment and go, that happened. Yes, you see that? Boom, God loves me, right? And you walk in to get a loaf of bread and you walk in, all of a sudden you get to the loaf of bread section and now God has spited you by removing all the bread. And there's no bread, right? And so from the moment of being circumstantially incredibly happy because of the parking spot, you walk in and all of a sudden circumstantially you are no longer happy, right? You are now sad, maybe a little bit mad and going, I thought I was blessed and highly favored, right? Whatever it is, that's circumstantial. That is happiness. But joy, joy is the same in that it produces of a positive emotion, but it's not circumstantial. Joy is unwavering. It is a constant that's fixed in our soul. It's an anchor that we are always attached to. It's a source we can return to at any time, right? I pull up, get my parking spot. I'm happy. I put, walk inside. There's no bread. And I just laugh and go, well, that's terrible, right? But I'm not my, my, my life is not defined by my circumstances. I live constantly aware that Jesus is the bread of life, right? We're throwing out those Christianisms, whatever it may be, but it's that reality. That's kind of silly, but it's just so true. Like, I used, to, I used the analogy several years ago. I used it again. Like, when I was growing up, like, I had my buddies, like, three buddies, and we would go to, we'd go to one Georgia football game every single year. And this was back before the Kirby Smart years, right? This was back when we would, like, lose the games we were supposed to win and all that kind of stuff, right? I'll never forget, like, we would literally go to this game, and we had the highest of highs. You know, it's like football games and sports. So they're, are the, listen, they're the description of circumstantial happiness, right? Literally. We get a first down, yeah, right? Throw the interception. Like, I hate that quarterback, whatever it may be, right? So you had this whole dynamic going down, but we would leave the loss because they would lose half of the games we went to. And we would literally find ourselves just like, oh, so emotionally engaged and so emotionally involved. And finally, one of us would just always say, became the running joke, hey, but at least we've got Jesus, right? At least the Lord loves us. 
These were going to heaven, right? It was just that reality, and we would joke about it, but, but it's true. Like, that's the inner contentment. That's the overarching satisfaction that Jesus' presence brings into our life that is able and possible to define us in the midst of all the circumstances that could be going good or going bad. It is the constant. The advent of joy. Steve, are you saying that joy is always present in my life and something I can tap into at all times and can define my life? Absolutely, 100%. Will I always be happy? Absolutely not. doesn't really matter, though. Because what you have is, is this joy that is much deeper and much more rich. Happiness is affected by what one has. Joy by what one is, a child of God. Happiness comes from the experience of good as distinct from bad. Joy comes from experiencing God apart from good or bad. Happiness comes through things outside which stir feelings. Joy leaps from within, from God in the heart of the soul. In preparation for today's message, I came across this, this study on joy, kind of a scientific you know, study on joy, scientific as in like psychologists studying, all these people studying joy. And I'm going to refer to it this morning. I'm actually going to intermingle it with Scripture, don't get mad, right? Because what I found as I was going through this study was that they were simply tapping into what Scripture has been teaching about joy for a long time. It was fascinating, right? Even the language they were using, the things that were defining it, right? It was just fascinating to begin to study this understanding of joy. So I'm going to marry these thoughts together. The first saying that they make, it says this, is joy. Joy is generated. I think it's on the screen for us. Joy is generated from situations that pertain to our sense of meaning, goals, and desires in life. In other words, he says, joy is our response to what we consider good. Let me read that again. Joy is generated from situations that pertain to our sense of meaning, goals, and desires in life. And he says, in other words, joy, I want you to hear these words, joy is our response to what we consider good. The starting point for our understanding of biblical joy is found in the word good from above. Joy is our response to what we consider good. Now, there are lots of things that we deem as good in life. You could spend time this morning going through a list of things. I would encourage you to do this and be part of our third point or second point this morning. I want you to become a person who's very good at pointing, pulling out these things that are good in life. But what I want you to recognize that in life, the ultimate good ultimately is found in God alone. The ultimate capital G good is ultimately found in who Jesus is. Look at the words in, uh, look at the words of, of, of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. It says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. God is the essence of good. God is the source of good. It's my assertion this morning that in the arrival of Jesus, in his advent this morning, that it leads to this constant presence of Jesus in our lives for those who've given our lives to him, and that now the ultimate good resides in your life. I'm not having to go. The point is this. Joy is a response to what we consider good. Joy then is a response to the ever-present 
presence of Jesus in our lives, which means the source of good and the source of joy is present is simply our responsibility to turn from everything else and to find the beauty. William Barclay says, Christian joy is independent of all things on earth because it has its source in the continual presence of Jesus. True joy finds its source in our ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus' presence at all times. So as we slow down in this season, because it's super, super easy to slow down the holiday season. I'm sure you've realized this, right? No, it's a conscious decision. It's a choice that we make in the, in our, in the context of our lives to say, God, I choose to slow down amidst the busyness. Our goal is simply to live mindful and aware of Jesus's presence and tap into the fruit of his arrival. Last week it was hope. This week it's joy. Our foundational good in life is and will forever be God, right? He is our ultimate source of joy in life. But as I said earlier, there are other good things in our lives. Ultimate, there are other good things that occur in our lives, good things that happen that help us cultivate and to grow joy in our life. These are good things created by God for us that lead us to joy in life, that awaken this understanding of joy, this inner contentment, this deep satisfaction. I'm going to focus on a few of these practical steps this morning and recognize these are from the study, but clearly found in Scripture out of the wisdom of God who is leading us. The first one is this, healthy relationships. As a source of joy, as, a, as something that causes joy to be released and awakened in us, it is healthy relationships. As we talked about, our relationship with Jesus, again, is our foundational source of joy. You have to start there. But it's important to note that healthy relationships with others produce joy in us also. We were designed for relationships, you see it through Acts. You see it in Acts 2.42. They gave themselves to the fellowship. That was the word koinonia, that's rich, intimate connection with other people and to do life with other people. And so there's this call that we have to, to relationships and healthy relationships as they produce joy in us. In a Harvard study on adult excuse me, adult development, they followed a large cohort, a group of adults, and then some of their descendants for 85 years. They documented a myriad of influences throughout their life, their successes, and their failures. And the study found that while physical health is not to be ignored, those who had strong and satisfying personal relationships with people that they loved lived the longest lives. Joy can be derived from this feeling of connection that we have with Jesus. It can also be derived from the feelings that we have of connecting with other people. How many of you in the last six months have sat down with someone who, when you were with them, it felt like time slowed down, right? Something was awakened in your heart and soul in your connection with them, and you walked away feeling like life was a little bit lighter. Can I see a show of hands? Why do you feel that way? Because you were designed that way by God. Like, ask Noah about all the guys he connected with in Montana. It was like a, it was like this, like a, 
cornucopia of ongoing relationships with people that probably frustrated him, right? But also were so life-giving. Why? Because we're designed for relationships. You're designed to connect. Why? Because God designed you that way, right? It is, a, it is an image of the connection that we have with him. Every connection that you have with your spouse, your sibling, your brother, your mom, whatever it may be that's healthy and good and life-giving is just a, is a taste of the goodness we can experience with God. And so these relationships that we have are healthy, they're good, and they literally produce joy in our life. I love 1 John 1, 3 and 4. John says this, we proclaim to you, so he's speaking on behalf of himself and his disciples, those who were with him. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to you to make our joy complete or some manuscripts say to make your joy complete. The heart of John in these verses and the letter as a whole is clear. One, he knows Jesus, right? He knows Jesus. Second, he has fellowship, relationship, intimacy with Jesus, and he's led his disciples to the same fellowship. So they are relating together, fellowshipping together, relationship together. Then they have that relationship with Jesus all then together. And then he comes in the moment and says, now, I want to invite all of you. I want to invite you into relationship with us and into fellowship and relationship with the Father. It's like a relationship trifecta, Jesus, self, and others. That's this picture we're, def- we're longing for. The result, verse 4, we're inviting you into this fellowship and relationship so that our joy or your joy may be complete. The enemy's primary goal is to isolate you until you don't need relationships with other people. Because they're too messy, they're too difficult. The Spirit of God would say, no, no, I designed you as I designed the Trinity to be in relationship together. I've designed you to be in relationship. In fact, that is a source of joy. In fact, your joy is complete when you have that relationship trifecta. Others, self, and Jesus in relationship together. Your longing for relationship is a holy longing place there by God. Number two, simple gratitude or practicing gratitude. Practicing gratitude. Gratitude has long been considered an integral part of joy. Carving out time to reflect on and define what you were grateful for, the study says, can induce feelings of trust. It can induce feelings of appreciation. Paul seems to tap into this knowledge in Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17. It says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. But recognize that word admonish. We don't use it very often. It's a positive word, not a negative word, okay? To admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So he's naming this relationship and saying, come together and encourage one another and challenge one another, spur one another on to, to know Jesus in relationship. And then in your own time, take some time to pull Pull away and just sing to God and express gratitude. And whatever you do, whether in word or in action and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's painting this picture of 
of, of expressing gratitude and thankfulness in community and then individually. Paul is leading them to a life of gratitude and thankfulness. The language Paul uses, this is important, is not speaking about a duty that they need to perform or an act of obedience that they're to undertake. That's not the idea. It's like, hey, do this or else. If you're going to make God happy and please him, then you need to go express this no. The idea is it's an invitation or an admonishment that Paul is making in the moment. It's the word we see in verse 16. One theologian, when speaking of the word and the action Paul's undertaking, says this. Admonishing. I think it's on the screen. I could be wrong, Carl. Admonishing is a ministry calling for much warmth and closeness. It's not, I apologize. There is no hint of a distant, just an, admonishing is a ministry calling for much warmth and closeness. There is no hint of a distant judgmentalism or of criticism launched from some height of supposed superiority. Paul's admonitions were stimulated by a deep love for young believers. His love was so deep that his admonitions were often accompanied by tears. Admonishing, what does it look like? Well, I'll throw it out to you for something that all of you can identify with. My girls go off to college. Randall and I sit them both down and we admonish them. Girls, A.K. Sarah, I love you. We love you to the very, very core of our being. All we really want in life is for you to succeed. We want you to thrive in your college years. So here are some things that we want to admonish you, to encourage you to do so that you can thrive in life. We want you to continue to pursue your relationship with Jesus. We want you to be very intentional of taking school and making it very important, but also at the equal time, we want you to engage relationships that you will have for Forever. We're listen, we are admonishing you, we're encouraging, we are challenging you to give yourself to these things because if you do, you will thrive in life. I wasn't being judgmental. I wasn't being condescending. I was expressing with great love a knowledge that they give themselves to these things, that in their life they will thrive, they will succeed, and they will experience the greatest sense of joy they would know. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, this call to a life of gratitude, this call to a life of thankfulness is an admonishment, an encouragement from Paul to say to them, this is the thing that you give yourself to that will produce the greatest sense of joy in your relationships with one another, in your relationship with God, in your own personal spiritual life. Gratitude. And thankfulness, a scientific study calls it a gratitude practice, a daily habit and routine when we identify the reoccurring themes that spark joy in our life and we name them and we focus on them. The third thing it says is, this is, this is my favorite, just let go and laugh. All right? Let go and laugh. I'll be honest with you. I've reached a point in my life, I'm like, man, I'm around way too many serious people. Serious is not a fruit or a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's like it just isn't, right? People have these, like, deep talks. I'm like, I'm done with deep talks. We'll have those over here, but, man, let's just laugh together, right? This is what I'm looking for in life. One study says that the most stress-reducing activities we engage on a daily basis is laughter. It said that laughter can lower stress hormones, boost the immune system, decrease inflammation, and increase good cholesterol. As the old adage says, laughter truly is the best medicine. But do you know where the adage came from? 
from the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, which says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. This idea, right, this, the, the joyful heart, a joyful heart, laughter's good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The wisdom of Scripture teaches us that laughter in a joyful heart is like medicine. Scientists just explained to us exactly what wisdom told, that wisdom told us over 2,000 years ago. Laughter is good medicine. It's good for the soul. It produces life for us. It's powerful laughter. Listen, it fights depression. It fights sorrow. It lowers blood pressure. It impacts the cells in your body, prevents disease, and allows us to live a long life. Have you ever sat back and wondered how often you laugh every day? There are several studies that are out there, and and I haven't found anything that truly says what it is. I'm just going to name this. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, so give me grace. But it was like six different resources, ten different resources that I read, and they claimed something. Like I couldn't find the actual study. But somebody once said this. this. They said that on average, a four-year-old laughs 300 times a day, while the average 40-year-old laughs only four times a day. Now, I'm not sure that's 100% accurate, so give me grace. Let's just take the heart behind it, right? Children by nature find easy things to laugh out, to give themselves to, to find joy in. And adults just seemingly find a way to make things much harder, much more difficult, filled with depression, filled with anxiety, right? Filled with all this stuff because they're just focused on the circumstances rather than just kind of, ah, right? Ah, whatever that is. You know what it is. You feel it. And just recognize, man, I gotta go find some place. I'll be honest with you, like, Randall and I, like, we have a serious XM. We have that clean, uh, clean humor station. Listen, primarily we listen to, we listen to comedians when we're driving on the road, right? It's serious XM, forget, forget the station. Because I just want to laugh. There's something so good about it. So life-giving. Laughter is good medicine. As we end today, I simply want to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Paul is speaking, and it's really important when he's speaking to reckon. I'm going to read it in a second, but I want you to even see the words as I say it, that he's not going to unpack any of the things he's about to say, right? He's not going to unpack any of them. He's not going to talk about them. He's just going to kind of throw out a list of declarative statements. And we have to assume that either while he was with them or previously, he had probably spent time talking about all of these. These were understood in their community as truth. They simply needed to be reminded of it so they could step into the life that God has for them. And it says this. He just says, rejoice always, right? These are decisions that you make, a choice that you give yourself to, an action that you choose to give yourself to. Rejoice always. In the midst of all circumstances, in the good, in the bad, I find the source of joy. I give myself to it. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, I don't want you to see this as this act of obedience they had to give themselves to, so the only way they can have joy is by doing it, so that God will be pleased with them. What he's saying is, this is the act, this is the admonishment. I want to encourage you, these are the activities that you are to give yourself to if you want to step into the fullness of God's arrival in your life and experience his presence. 
This is his fullness. Paul makes this statement again to the church at Thessalonica in their own moments of tension, their midst of persecution and their own hardship. He's admonishing them. Why? Because he is so in love with them and so desires like a parent does to a child to experience the rich, grateful, and joy-filled heart that God has designed for them. The holiday season for us and the Advent season, it's an intentional season of choosing to focus on the first arrival, his presence with us in preparation for the second arrival. It's about engaging these realities here of, of, of recognizing and focusing on healthy relationships, of focusing on a heart of gratitude and thankfulness and giving ourselves to it and just letting go and laughing in the season, but primarily giving myself to the source of joy which is the person of Jesus who is consistent and constantly present in every area of my life. Advent was created for us to be intentional of turning from the world and turning to Jesus so this can be awakened in us. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we come into this second week of Advent, Lord, we, we live in recognition of, of your presence. Father God, we may not see it the way we want to fully. We may not feel it exactly the way that we want to. But we live with confidence, Lord, that, that you are for us, you are present, that you're not against us. God, I thank you that we don't have to see you to know that you're real. I think about the way that I love my wife. I can't see that, but I know it to be true. It's the same thing that I can't see you, but I know with conviction the way that I that I love my wife, that I love you, and that you love me. Pray, God, this morning for those who just struggle with not having the physical presence, that, Lord, that spiritual presence would become so tangible and real, God, and knowing your presence that there would be no denying it. We pray today that you would awaken us to the joy that you have for us in Christ. We'd be aware of your presence. And we just say, Jesus, come. Come and have your way.